Revelation chapter 20. And if you're just joining us, we've been going through the book of Revelation and you come at a good time, uh, really because if you're walking through Revelation up to chapter 20, you might wonder when is the good stuff or when does it get better? Uh, maybe you're asking that having gone through Revelation and we're at that point where it gets a lot better. Jesus Christ has returned. He set up his kingdom on the earth and everything is flourishing. This weekend, our students were involved in a discipleship ministry called Thrive, right? Thrive. What does Thrive mean? Well, it means to flourish, to prosper, even to become wealthier. There's coming a time when the earth will thrive. It will flourish. The Sahara will actually bloom. All the environment that's been wasted and corrupted and decayed will be renewed. That time's coming at the return of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, look with me in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. A key statement, John said, then I saw. All the way through the book of Revelation, it's key to see when John says, I saw. Because that indicates a new vision within the Revelation. What does John see? He sees thrones. He sees people seated on thrones. He sees those seated on the thrones doing what? People on thrones rule. So he sees people reigning and ruling. We have to ask ourselves, when is this? When there are people on the earth reigning and ruling over all the nations. Six times in this text, six times we read it's during a 1,000 year reign. We call it the millennium, mill meaning 1,000, annual or annual, meaning years. If you say something is annual, it's every year. So there's a 1,000 year reign. And when the Bible repeats something, like, for instance, we sang this morning, holy, holy, holy. We see this throughout Scripture. Uh, When things are repeated like that, Isaiah 6, holy, 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 it means it's important. When things are mentioned six times in a short amount of time, I think we need to pay attention. I believe the 1,000-year reign of Christ to be real on the earth and to come. It is future. I believe that everything we've studied up to Revelation chapter 20 is what we would call pre-millennial. So when you hear that your pastors are pre-millennialists and you say, what is that? It just means this. I mean, everything from Revelation 1 through Revelation 19 happens before the 1,000 year reign of Christ. There are some people who are post-millennialists. They have the idea that we're going to, as Christians, live in such a way and preach in such a way that we're going to usher better times into this world, almost a utopian type society. And when we have, when we've done all of that, Jesus is going to come back and receive his kingdom. Um, there were people who were Puritans and separatists that really had that idea, basically living in bubbles and not paying attention to the outside world. And more importantly, I, I, I believe the scriptures. Uh, there are some in here, um, maybe even this room that are post-millennial. Some of you may be amillennial, which means ah, the a prefix, meaning that no millennial, no future reign of Christ. It's happening now. We have the reign of Christ in the hearts of the people. And all the promises that God made to Israel belong to the church. 
And I find a lot of problem with that because God made a lot of promises to Israel. He also gave curses to Israel. I don't believe the curses are all Israel's and none of the blessings are theirs. Nor do I believe that what the Catholic Church perpetuates that we have replaced the, the church has replaced Israel to be true and something similar to that even in our millennialism. I also, I want to say here, at the end of Revelation, we're told to have grace and to be gracious. And so uh, there are those that will disagree on those things at the end. But I do believe this. I believe that there will be a 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth when Jesus returns. The church will reign with Christ, and Israel will have promises fulfilled to them. The reason I believe that is because of the chronology of Revelation, as I mentioned, but also prophecy. My son was fishing yesterday up in North Carolina near Virginia in a river that's stocked with trout. What's cool about having a river stocked with trout is you don't have to be the best fly fisherman I discovered to catch a lot of fish. You just fish where they stock the pond or the creek or the river. The Old Testament is stocked full of passages and prophecies concerning the millennial reign of Christ. I'm going to show you a few of those. I also believe the promises of God to be true. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle, not one part of my law will pass away. He also said, not one part of the word of God will fail. Kingdoms will come. Kingdoms will fail. But my word will never fail. We can trust God's word. So he's made promises to Israel. So that being said, let's jump into this text. I'm going to give you three realities of the millennial kingdom when Jesus reigns on the earth. Three realities. All right. They go like this. Christ rules. That's a a reality. Christ rules on the earth. On the earth. Secondly, saints serve as co-regents. What's a co-regent? That's someone serving next to Christ on thrones, given authority and responsibility. Yes, I believe Christians are going to be given authority and responsibility over the nations. We're going to rule with Christ over the nations. Imagine that. When Christ comes back. Thirdly, and maybe shockingly, that at the end of that thousand years of flourishing and thriving, sinners rebel. Sinners rebel. So it's pretty simple. Let's look at it. Verse 4, then I saw thrones seated on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed. Now what we know up to this point, chapter 19, Jesus Christ has returned. Jesus has returned in chapter 19. He returns on a white horse, sign of victory. He returns with an army of people, verse 4 of chapter 19, all in white linen, on white horses, victorious. We are in white linen, we are the saints, we are, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we don't have army or military fatigues, we're not in camo, why? Because Christ fights the battle for us, we just return following after him. When Christ returns, he brings the saints with him. So when Jesus comes back the second time, He's not coming alone. Y'all got it? He has quite an entourage. And by God's grace, I'm going to be in it. And if you're saved, you will be too. Be sure you're saved. He's coming to bind. When he comes back, he's coming to bind the Antichrist. Throw him into the pit. He's coming to bind the false prophet to seize that false prophet so that there are no more gurus and false teachers in the world deceiving through their philosophies and their doctrines. And then chapter 20, we covered it last week, 
The old dragon, the old serpent, the liar, Satan, the adversary, the devil. He too is arrested and he's thrown into the pit. He's thrown into a, a, a prison and, and therefore a thousand years. After that, we're told he's loosed for a little while. But during this time of a thousand years, when Jesus returns, Jesus rules on the earth. Way back when Jesus was born, do you remember the wise men who came shortly after Jesus was born? Made a prophecy. From you shall be a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That promise of Christ from the Magi, it's all the way through the Old Testament scriptures. And when Jesus comes, there will be a new realm on earth. I remember as a kid playing ball, every game, every game, I don't know if it's still done, we would gather somewhere and we would pray the Lord's Prayer. It didn't matter how bad our coach was cussing us out, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And we would pray with our ball caps off, Thy kingdom come. And that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, that's prayed from the heart, or whether it's not from the heart, still going to come to pass. Our Lord's kingdom's coming. It's coming to earth. And there'll be a new environment. What will it be like on the earth? What will it be like when Jesus is reigning on the earth? You want to think about it for a moment? What will it be like? Jeremiah the prophet said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise made to the house of Israel. And the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David. That righteous branch is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. You want social justice, you're going to get it. And we all do. In that day, perfect righteousness. Because the king of righteousness will be ruling from David's throne. There'll be righteousness in the land. There'll be right judgment in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell in security. That's not today, is it? But it will be. There'll be real worship that day. No fake worship. I mean, there are believers. There are unbelievers and there are make-believers. And maybe even in this room, make-believers. But in that day, no make-believers. Everyone worshiping from the heart. Those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah says this, and many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Imagine that. Imagine that. We're going to go and hear our Lord. We're going to hear the apostles as well. You'll see that in a moment. Out of Zion will go forth the law of the Lord and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes among the peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up the sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Isaiah said, I'm going to create new heavens in the earth, says the Lord. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, nor shall there be heard the sound of weeping, nor the cry of distress. No more shall there be an infant who lives only a few days. Or an old man who does not fulfill out his days. A young man shall die at a hundred years old, and the sinner at a hundred years old will be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Later it says, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust 
shall be the serpent's food. I haven't been to the zoo lately. Anybody been to the zoo? I'm assuming they still have cages there. I'm assuming the lion's still held up. But there will be a day when no cage is necessary because the ox and the lion will eat the same food. I take that serious. That's going to happen. We learn how that in Isaiah 11, the cow and the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing baby, imagine it's the preschoolers back in the nursery. What are they playing? What would you do? What did you do this morning? We played with cobras. That's what it says. That's nice. You didn't hurt the cobra, did you? No. Cobras won't hurt kids, and kids won't hurt cobras. It's all going to be different. There's going to be a new polity, a new government. We read in Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and a government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. No wonder John hears Jesus at the very last of the revelation say, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. That would have been hope for John. It's hope for us too. So that John would say, Amen. Even so, come quickly. When we read this, we say, Lord, come. Lord, come. There's coming a time, like Daniel said, when the Ancient of Days will receive a glory and kingdom and all the peoples. Remember, this is a stock pond I'm fishing out of. Let me just catch a few more fish from the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 3. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord. All the nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. Jeremiah said in chapter 23, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. There will be a lot of children born during the thousand-year reign of Christ. A lot of children born. Zechariah 14, Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King and the Lord of hosts to keep the feast of the booths. There'll be a new ecology. You shall eat in plenty, Joel said, and be satisfied. I mean, everyone's going to have something to eat and plenty of it. And really, really good food. I mean, we're going to have food like we've never had before during the thousand-year reign of Christ. And, in, and plenty. Poverty will finally be eradicated. Isaiah 33, verse 24. And no inhabitant will say, I'm sick. Isn't that great? Preachers and doctors will lose their job during the millennial reign. Are y'all okay with that? A new economy. Haggai, the prophet said, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of his house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. In this place I will give peace, declares the Lord. Amos, the prophet said, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they will rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them and plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them in their land. They shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I given them, says the Lord. The prophets tell us there's coming a millennial reign. The apostles call it next, chapter 3, verse 20, the times of, re- of, of refreshing. The nation's headquarters now, all gone. No more D.C., no, no, no more Moscow, no more Beijing. 
No more Tehran. Jerusalem will be the capital of the world. The throne of David will be there, and Jesus will reign on that throne. The millennial kingdom will reveal a, a millennial temple that will worship. Poverty gone, no prisons, no hospitals, no morgues, no back alley deals, no red light districts, no more memory care systems. No more preschools, no more elementary schools, no more junior high schools, no more high schools, no more universities. We don't need that anymore. Just a reminder before I go to the next point, when Jesus rules, everything's going to be made new. My God, my God is awesome at making things new. If any man be in Christ... If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. Romans chapter 8, students, see if you recognize this passage. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things. You mean the bad stuff? Yeah. Evil stuff? Yeah. Gross stuff? Yeah. Stuff that makes us sick? Yeah. Good stuff? Yes. Wonderful stuff, yes. All things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. For those who, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then Paul went on to say, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Hypernikeo, we are greater than God. We, we've already won in Christ who makes all things new. And I am sure neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything at all in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, John saw a new environment. It's coming, y'all. Either you are in it because you're saved or you will be outside of it locked. No unbeliever, no unbeliever is going to enter into this millennial kingdom. Only believers. Second reality from this text. Look at the, again, verse four. Uh, reality number two, saints reign. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those whom authority to judge was committed. So Christ is ruling. He also commits responsibility to people on thrones. Who are on these thrones? Well, we don't have to guess. Uh, we know they're not angels on these thrones. You, you might think, well, I think what angels would be on these thrones. But Hebrews chapter two and verse five says, for it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, in 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul said, do you not know that saints will judge the world? Now, Paul was talking in the context of, can't you settle your own disputes, your own little problems in the church? Don't you know that one day you're going to judge the world? In fact, he says, do you not know that we are going to judge angels? In Revelation chapter 2, verse 26 The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him, I will give authority over the nations. Now, you might recall in Revelation 2, Jesus is talking to the church. He's talking to the church. He says in verse 27, and he, that is Lord Jesus Christ, will rule with a rod of iron that swiftly no one will break his rule. No one will rebel against him. And when 
earthen pots are broken in pieces, even like that, that's how he rules, even as I myself receive authority from my Father. We're going to rule with him, the one who rules with that rod iron. Chapter 3, verse 21, and Jesus again talking to the church, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing, isn't it? Some of you, like, I've never heard this before. I never knew this, but this is going to happen. I don't know what you think heaven's going to be like, y'all. This is not heaven. This is the millennial kingdom, and I'm going to talk about heaven as we get to chapter 22. But sometimes people think that we just go off into this ethereal existence with a harp and float on a cloud and just are bored to death. If you listen to classic rock, isn't that what they tell us all the time? I, I, I was just scanning. I'm just, just, just a footnote here because I, I, I told Leslie this. This has been bugging me. Like, if you know this guy who wrote this song, I want to write him a letter. I really do. I'm, I'm being serious. I was scanning the stations, and country music came on. You can't even recognize country music for country music now. I don't even know what that is. And, and it went along like the lines like this, and I only heard, like, several seconds of the song, and just went on. Who knows what heaven's going to be like? Or here, here's what I said. Who the hell knows what heaven's going to be like? That's what the song said. I think that's what the world thinks. That the, heaven's going to be what? Whatever I think, whatever I make, whatever I imagine, it's going to be greater than that. I want you to see how real this is, y'all. You actually are going to be on the earth, this earth that's been broken up by tribulation, corrupted because of judgment. The water's going to be just polluted like nobody's business. A third of the vegetation gone. It's going to be mired in wrath. And you know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to take this environment that's been destroyed and he's going to recreate it like Eden. It's going to be amazing. He's going to say, hey, you, me? Yeah, you have this territory and you have that territory. And you make sure that we take dominion over the earth like I commanded at the beginning of time. Because the creation commission to take dominion over the earth has not gone away. It's just awaiting this new millennial kingdom. No wonder we read like in Luke chapter 19, Jesus talking about different people receiving different talents, meaning gifts and abilities using that money, we've all been given something to do something with. We all have something to do something with. Based on what we do with what God's entrusted us with, we'll determine how much responsibility we have in the kingdom that is to come. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. I mean, for the people who think, I'll just get saved and live any way I want to, Paul would say, perish the thought. You have no idea what grace is. That's not how we live. We live in love of Christ, for Christ, because of Christ, but also recognizing we also will receive reward from Christ. Therefore, beloved brethren, knowing, knowing this, be steadfast, be faithful, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord Jesus Christ is not in vain. There's a new world coming. This world will be ruled by the church. We've gone on with the Lord. We've been raptured. We're coming back with the Lord at the second coming, and we're going to rule with him for a thousand years. Let's say with the 12 apostles. Jesus asked, answered their question, what about us? And Jesus said, you're going to rule, and you're going to, you're going to instruct Israel in Matthew chapter 19. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4 and 5, we also see tribulation saints, people who've gone through the seven-year tribulation, who've been martyred for Christ and suffered for Christ. They're also going to rule. They're going to receive beauty for ashes, which is a 
something that God always does, which leads me to the last reality here, third and last reality, which was really shocking in verse 7. And when a thousand years are ended, so there's going to be a thousand year reign of Christ on the earth, and then it's going to end, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out and deceive the nations that are of the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. So let's stop right here. Let's talk about this for a moment, okay? I'm not sure all the reasons why Satan's being released. Here's a good passage to write down and memorize. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. That's, anyway, it, it, that's a good passage to answer anybody. When they ask you a question, you have no idea how to answer. I don't know. We'll find out. But, but what's certain here is that there are going to be people born in the millennial kingdom. Right? We've already read that in the Old Testament. No unbeliever enters the millennial kingdom. No unbeliever enters the millennial kingdom. They're awaiting the second resurrection, was the resurrection of their body, only to be judged at the great white throne, and then to be sentenced to hell forever. Right? But there will be people born during the millennial kingdom. And everyone born during the millennial kingdom will be given an opportunity to follow Christ. And, shockingly, many won't. Isn't that amazing to you? We even read here that they go to the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog have already been used. We've already talked about these are geographical locations earlier in Revelation. Now you have these terms used as a rebellion against God. It's not a place necessarily, but more of a statement of this is an area people go in their spirit. Okay? Like Babylon's a real city, but Babylon's also a system. All right? So you may have grown up in the boondocks, but that wasn't really the name of your town. Just represented the fact that you are way out there. Gog and Magog at this point now have gathered together, and they're coming against God and the saints, the Bible says here, the saints who are at Jerusalem, that's us, and God. This is not Armageddon, that's already taken place, this is the last battle. This is a battle led by Satan, who's deceived the nations again, who were born during the millennial kingdom. It tells me a lot. It tells me a lot. It tells me that there are going to be people who are going to have the greatest experience ever during the millennial kingdom, who are going to taste the best strawberries they've ever put in their mouth. They're going to have the best pets they've ever had. They're going to have the best worship they've ever experienced. The most wonderful music. They're going to see saints who've been rewarded by the Lord. They're going to be there in that experience and still not follow Christ. They're going to have expertise when it comes to the Word of God. They're going to know the law. They're going to know the Scriptures. They're going to be taught like no one ever has been taught. They're going to have a great head knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And still lost. They're going to be exposed to Christ. And they are going to be in the best environment. The best environment. But they're still going to be lost. Someone said, you know, God has no grandchildren. Only children. And in the environment where the world is worshiping the Lord... 
and flourishing and thriving. There's still going to be people who are self-centered, selfish, and want their own way and don't want to follow God. Psalm 2. Why have the nations raged? The people imagine the vain thing. They say, let's just cast off these chains. They're going to see the rule of Christ as inhibiting. So I just can't believe that would happen. You go all the way back to the beginning where you have Adam and Eve experiencing the most precious relationship on the face of the earth. They walk with God, y'all. Like they walk with God. God teaches them. God gives them responsibility. They have the most incredible experience with God that we could ever imagine. They are with him on a daily basis. And they are exposed to his law. He gives them one commandment. Like one. They have, a, they have, a, they have mastered the law. Hey, what's the law of God? Don't eat that, of that tree. You got it. They have one law. And were they in the perfect environment or what? Like nothing died. Never. Never had to flush a goldfish. Like I'm just trying to explain, like they never understood death. And they had everything they could have ever wanted. What'd they do? They rebelled. So don't think and wonder and all, how could people in the millennial kingdom rebel? You know how? The same way some of you are rebelling. They're going to be people who are going to see the glory of God. They're going to see the glory of God over and over again. And they're going to get glory hardened. Like some of you maybe who have become gospel hardened. You've heard the incredible gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he loved you and that he died in your place. And you've heard it so many times but you've not responded. And you're maybe, listen, possibly even an expert in the gospel. You could... You can quote it, you can share it, you can tell others about it, but you've never truly experienced it yourself. Don't be that person. Don't rebel against God. You can be in the right environment. I'm all about environments, y'all. I'm all about them. I think having thriving environments are awesome. Camp environments are wonderful. Being at church every week, I need it. I'm not like a lot of people. Like some people can skip church for two or three weeks, and I guess they're okay. I can't. I just can't. And I, I guess maybe I'm a lot weaker than other people. Like I cannot miss my Bible reading on a daily basis. I wrote in the front of our children's Bibles we just gave away to them a few weeks ago. D.L. Moody's quote, this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. I don't know about y'all. I got to have this every day. Like every day. Someone told me a long time ago, miss your quiet time in the word. You'll know it. God will know it. You keep missing it. Everyone will know it. I need it. I got, I'm all about environments. I need accountability. I need accountability. I need someone asking me, wait, what's going on? What you doing, man? What's good? What you, how you spending your money? I need that. But you can be in the perfect environment, the perfect camp high, be in church every single day. You can be in the Garden of Eden and still rebel against God. And here's why. You gotta, you gotta realize that Sin is not something that gets rooted out of your heart by your efforts and by something from, from your own making, but 
but by the very grace of God. Seeing it's rooted of our heart by the gospel and by our relationship with him and loving him on a regular basis. So as a believer, you say, what do I do with this? I think you need to recognize a few things here as a believer, as a Christian. Number one, Satan is vicious. He is seeking whom he may devour today. He's looking for an opportunity with you to try to deceive you and even to lure outside what's inside you. Because all temptation does that. All temptation allures you from the inside out. You're like, hey, I got something in me. And so it's being attracted to something outside of me. That's why we can't ever, we can't ever blame the devil for our sin. It won't be the devil's fault that these people sin. It will be inside them. So then, Christian, we need to recognize sin is tenacious. Okay, sin is tenacious. It is zombie-like. It, it keeps coming back to life. And you got to keep killing it every single day. And you got to lock it out of your heart. And that's what we did this morning when I came here. Locked up our house, got the alarm, all that stuff. And, but then I get a text from Les, is the cat outside. You know, we want the cat locked outside. Like, like my cat. I wasn't much of a cat person until I got a cat. Cat's pretty cool. Cat kills stuff. Sometimes it half kills stuff. That's why you lock it out. Because it can bring a half killed rat into your house. Learn that the hard way. But keep that cat outside. You bring a half dead snake. You know what a half dead snake is? It's an alive snake. Seriously, right? We don't have a pet door at our house. Our neighbors do. They're cool. Our dog got loose one day. Went to the pet door. Prowled up on their couch. Decided they'd take in a movie with them. (laughs) I don't need that. You don't need that in your heart. Lock sin out. Because, see, when you let sin dwell in your heart, it'll bring more sin with it. And greater sin. You don't need a pet door but you know, I just got these little things. It's just the way I was raised. It's just my, it's just my, it's my temperament. No, you kill it. You lock it out. No sin. Why? Because it wants to rule you. It is so deceptive. To live godly means that I need that sin rooted out, and I can't do it myself. I need to put myself in the right environment. I need to be an expert on the Word of God. I need the best experiences I can get when it comes to the Scriptures. But I recognize I can have all those things and still live in sin. You know that's true, don't you? i got to end it here. i got more, but we'll save it. Lock sin out, but don't lock Jesus out. My mind goes there. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. You have a church. A church? Y'all, a church. I just asked you guys to scoot in some. Could you imagine? Um, hey, there's somebody who wants a seat. Uh, we don't have room for them. But, but, it's, but it's very important. For, yeah, we don't have room for them. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine if I said, but, but the person is Jesus? Revelation 3.20. Jesus on the outside of the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Lock sin out. Invite Jesus in, y'all. Christian, you can't play with sin. And if you're lost, if you're lost without Christ, 
today, today, right now, become a follower of Christ. Father, thank you that you've given us this text and just our glimpse into the future. We are so looking forward to it. We know that you promised us that you're coming again. You said you're coming quickly. We say with John and with the Spirit, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We're ready. We're ready for the rights to be wrong. We're ready for Christ, Lord Jesus, to be magnified and honored and glorified on this earth for every knee to bow and for every tongue to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of the Father. We say, come. And I know, Lord, that the Spirit of God is drawing men and women here today who have yet to come into the kingdom. I pray they will today come into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.